Hello and welcome to the Regen Agri podcast, the go-to place to hear about everything regenerative agriculture. Regen Agri is an initiative supporting farms, agribusinesses and the supply chain in their transition to regenerative approaches. We do this globally with the aim of securing the health of the land and the wealth of those who live on it. For more information about our initiative and to find out how we can help with your regenerative journey, visit regenagri.org. I'm your host, Harry Farnsworth, and once again, I'm excited to bring you the latest developments from the global phenomenon that is regenerative agriculture. I'm joined today by Dominique Fan, founder of the Regenerative Ready Meal Supplier, Wild Hair. Dominique will be sharing her insights into the growing focus on environmental impact within the supply chain, with both retailers and consumers looking for clarity on how their food is produced. With over 20 years of experience driving sustainability projects, first in the construction industry and Green Deal programs, then with the National Trust, Dominique is skilled at building holistic models of sustainability. She's astute in covering all angles and prides herself in spotting greenwashing from a mile away. Dominique's passion for regenerative farming stemmed from relocation to the Cotswolds, where she witnessed firsthand the positive impact regenerative practices can have on the soil and nature. For Dominique, the move to the Cotswolds sowed the seed for the idea of a business which produces ready meals with short and traceable supply chains, selecting ingredients based on their provenance credentials. Recently, Wild Hair's regeneratively farmed range has been launched into Ocado, making it available for home delivery through a nationwide supermarket. Thank you for joining me today, Dominique. I'm excited to get stuck into our conversation about getting regeneratively farmed food onto and into our kitchens across the nation. Thank you for having me, Harry. I've got a host of questions for you lined up, but I thought actually after you know reading of the intro and having talked to you before, it might be good to get a bit of background on how you've got to where you've got to, because you don't have a background in FMCG products or food. You come in at it from an outsider, which actually is, is sometimes the best way to approach businesses because you aren't strung up on the old traditional models that people get so used to and ingrained to when they've been in the industry forever. I'd actually totally agree with that. And I think... If I had done, I would have probably been worried about the mistakes I've made because I've certainly made a few mistakes along the road. But absolutely, I'm coming into it with fresh eyes into the food industry. Yes, it's been exceptionally hard. And yes, every day has been a learning curve. But I, I do believe it's really helped because, yes, I haven't got hung up on any of the ways that perhaps <laughs> the routes I should have taken. I've just bombarded and gone in as best I can along my journey. And do you think that background in construction helped? light the awareness of understanding the broader category of sustainability outside of just of food? I think so. I think I've been involved in sustainability from when sustainability was quite a big word. Obviously, I think we've moved on a lot and regeneratively is probably something of the now, but I've definitely been involved when the government was looking at how we insulate homes 15, 20 years ago, which probably is only progressing a little bit better nowadays. But I think I've learned about the supply chains and putting businesses at the forefront of being able to supply homes and understanding how that worked and then moving on more recently to working with the National Trust and some of the land projects. So I always wanted to understand sustainability in its whole entirety rather than a piece of sustainability that works for some elements of a business. And I think that's what I've managed to achieve from all aspects is having a very all-rounded view of sustainability because to me, sustainability is, is a very difficult word or a very difficult 
standard to say you're sustainable because it has no actual gold standard. So I think information drives sustainability champions. And I believe that I have a lot of information and a lot of background that helps me understand the best way to do things. I mean, you've certainly gone through one of the toughest parts. You've gone for sustainability or, or regeneratively produced food and convenience <laughs> in the same breath. I mean, perhaps maybe give a bit of background on wild hair and the products that you are producing and how you hope to sort of plug that gap. Sure. Well, I mean, being very, very green, uh, not green as in sustainably green, being green in the fact I thought I'd be able to walk in and sort of change the way people shopped and bought food. I realised that at the beginning, I thought I could walk in and, and people would be very interested in buying these sort of very green products, 100% grass fed and set up a brand alongside that. And, and I was wrong. That was my first stumbling block. What I realised is I needed to create a brand, a brand with green goals and work towards what that would look like once the brand was slightly established. So the wild hair and the, and the naming of the hair was I moved out to the Cotswolds six years ago now. And it was very obvious that there was a lot more brown hair and those brown hairs had been declining for many years, but those hairs were much more prevalent in the farms that looked more naturally beautiful. So the wildflowers and the animals grazing outside, you could see that the hair. So reading up on that and realising the hair here in, in Britain is a great sign of biodiversity. So that's where the sort of name of the business came from. And then looking at the food industry and realising realizing how many villains there are in the food industry. And what we eat is often marketed so well to make us believe it's the right thing when it's not. And a great example of that is oatly milk, making false claims about where the milk came from and, and it not being as good as a cow's milk. So I was aware that a lot of the, and especially the convenience marketplace, could do whatever they wanted. And a lot of the ingredients in these meals, and still are, were coming from as far away as Thailand and Brazil. I was thinking, it's just not right. Without even getting to the crux of farming with nature, we shouldn't be buying food that this land, that our land here can produce from such far away places. I set along and, and, and we had tried to straight away sort of put into the supply chain some really good regenerative pasture fed lines, but the price point was far too expensive. And working in convenience, there is a ceiling to ready meals that people believe that's what they should pay and they should pay no more. So I decided initially, and that this is where we are now is growing, is just to use British ingredients. So we I thought, right, we'll start one and try and focus around getting British ingredients using British grains that grow very well here from farmer groups and buy through Hodmadods, which is a great supply chain for British grains, such as quinoa and spelt that can be grown in this country and produce meals on that platform, which we almost could compete in this space of convenience food. It probably meant that my margins aren't as good as everyone else's, but we could put them in, we could place them alongside a high-end ready meal, so a, a Charlie Bigham ready meal or a, a cook ready meal and hopefully get some notice. So we're doing that and we managed to get into, uh, I think with the story, we have got a great story. We name, you know, where, where our farms are. We absolutely have a transparent supply chain so that the foods got into places such as Selfridges and Whole Foods, which is obviously sort of the gold standard of sustainability because they go through your supply chain and make sure 
that it is exactly what it says it is and you've not gotten any nasty in any of the meals that you produce. So that was a great sort of test piece. And then we managed, there's a brand new world of rapid, fast deliveries if you live outside in main cities such as the likes of Gatia, Wheezy, Gorillas, which deliver meals in sustainably. So they all are on bikes or electric bikes within 15 minutes. And we managed to land one of those, which started then producing a lot more, so sort of three, 4,000 meals a week. So we were starting to get recognised for the work we're doing. We wanted to start working with a business that calculated our carbon footprint. So we started working with a business called Rewild that would look at all of our meals and be able to carbon footprint each of our meals so we could understand exactly the sustainable impact that perhaps a consumer might want to see. And that ignited the interest of Ocado. So we got in touch with Ocado and they were interested. But what we wanted to do at this point and what we were in the background doing is launch a very special meal And at the back of that, a range which used certified meat from certified farms. And we will now, at the end of this month, possibly beginning of March, knowing how these things move, launch a regenerative nature-based farm lasagna, which is 100% grass-fed and and certified with your regenerative agri certification, which has never yet been seen in this industry. So I... Obviously, with its own then carbon footprint, it'll be interesting just to see how the consumer feels about this and whether they do still buy perhaps with these tightened purse strings they have or whether they are open to buying things that are better for our land. And do they understand that? Yeah, massive. Kudos and congratulations to you for the, you know, just listening to that story again. You can sense how much work has gone into this from from the launch and the different hoops you've had to jump through and learnings you've you've had to learn on the job. So, you know, yes. well done to you for actually going through with it all and getting the product ready. As you rightly say, it's a massive step and it is so easy to fall into an echo chamber of understanding what these farming systems and knowing that they're good and then just thinking that everyone else must think the same. But of course, consumer interest is on the rise, but we're talking about convenience food that most people are are buying because they don't have time to worry or, or the resource to worry about where their food's coming from. They just need nutrition and they need it quickly. I mean, I read a fact that uh, I think here in the UK, we per capita consume around 18 to 19 kg of ready meals per person a year. So that's, I think I worked it out on average was about two a week per person. That's yes. Uh, it's it, yeah. That's my stats. Are done. It's yeah, exactly yeah. that. We're the biggest in Europe. There's a marketplace um, for new ready meals, but it's just how much that consumer wants from a a more sustainable ready meal. Yeah, and I think it'd be so fascinating to see the results of how you get on with the lasagna and you've picked to work with with the ethical butcher on this as well. And I've been to the farm where the meat is coming from for this lasagna and I know the good work it's been doing. And I suppose it's hoping that the communication works through the labelling to demonstrate that to the consumers as well. But I was wondering, are you going to be backing the launch of this up with more things for the consumer to get involved with if they were then had their imagination sparked? They then go on the website, will they get an explanation of how these systems work? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got to get this right and probably be working with yourselves alongside this to make sure that people get it in proper terms that mean something to them. 
So we do have a QR code that shows the lesser footprint of this, of carbon. And I think that is quite a buzzword and we are trying to prove that. But I would, yes, we're going to be putting videos and we have some videos of what this farm is managing to achieve and what it manages to achieve uh, in the future from, you know, a better enhanced soil organic matter and hopefully take people along on the journey. It would be nice, but what our plans is, is to take a cardo along to answers because it's still very much a price-driven retail marketplace. But hopefully once we manage to grab some consumer interest, then they'll want to find out more about how this is. And then we go from there growing more and more farms and give more farms a route to market and portray their stories with on our, our website. But yes, we've got some great videos of Neil and what he does in one of the farms we're using now. We obviously, if this, if this scales need more and need more certified farms down this route, I think it's between us really, Harry, to get this story about, I think it's one of these words that's now used. I've heard it more and more and maybe through the ethical butcher on some of their campaigns with regenuary regenuary that it's a word that's sticking regenerative agriculture you know it's doing it the right way but making it better as well and hopefully it's a word that falls into the consumer's mind and then they want to hear more we can hopefully display that in the right way of what actually it does mean and what these farmers are doing to make a better future for our children our children's children Yes, it's working as a word because it's easy to sort of understand in a funny way. You understand what you know regenerating means, even if you don't understand how that's done on a farm. You understand the concept of regenerating something. And if you stand up and talk to a group of consumers and you say, oh, well, we've got agroecology happening on, it's a very difficult concept to understand from the meaning of the word. Yeah. Whereas regenerative seems just a bit more accessible, I suppose. Yes. user-friendly. User friendly is the right word. But within the portfolio of things that you're producing, you've got the beef. I mean, how have you found when you approach other producers, say the vegetables that make up or the places where you're going to get it all put together and packaged and you try and explain this journey? Are, are the people who are already in the supply chain producing these things, do they know it's on the horizon or is this seen as a bit of a, a thorn in their side? They're just, you know, they're sort of doing it for you, but they don't really want everyone else to catch on. So that's so well put. I would say both that. They know that they have to look at these standards. I am definitely a bit of a thorn in their side because I am pushing a big weight up the hill trying to make them understand. And we look at supply chains all the time and I've had a very ethical supply chain put in front of me, which I know a lot of the farms that feed in are working towards these practices and pasture-fed animals, but there is no certification. So I think I know as a country, our labelling and our, and our certs need to be recognised. But if somebody doesn't start that trend and realise there are people like yourselves, people like the Pasture for Life Association that are doing some great work, if we don't get that out to the consumer, then it will allow for the misdemeanours in supply chains that will happen without any certification. So I'm, yes, I'm a massive thorn in people's side, but I will keep going. I think the one I've got is huge resilience. It is very difficult when you keep saying, it's a world I haven't known much about. So it is a, it is a hard world to do it, but I get a great amount of satisfaction. And if we manage to get this and get to the consumers, and we've done obviously a lot of work on what people buy for, and one of the leading trends is people's choices on sustainability. And you have to look at car choices now, don't we, and people going down the electrical hybrid. People 
they don't always understand why they're doing it, but they're doing it. So therefore, will this be enough to show they don't know why they're doing it, but they can see that this farm looks a lot healthier and even an organic farm, and I know she's a, a lot more of a linear structure that tick a box in their organic where those animals could have let, been inside all day and, and fed off grain from many a faraway land. Hopefully, this starts a journey of people understanding, okay, this is something that we recognise as a British-led sustainable way of feeding ourselves. Adam, interest, have you tried, you probably got very full inbox as it is but have you tried connecting with anyone in policy or sort of government groups about your projects and informing them and seeing if you can like change that way a bit very much defra we've been invited or chosen as one of the 200 uh, businesses to to meet actually and it's a summit in a couple of weeks actually in birmingham which will try to help businesses like mine find collaboration and routes to market so there is that and I'm also part of an SME group with them that tries to help with new policy to keep us up to date with policy but the one thing I I do find there is a lack of funding for businesses like mine we are fortunate to have funders and to have investment or the business wouldn't survive I have approached EFRA and likes of to say personally I think you should bridge some of the gap because we will go in at a loss because it's an unknown to the to the supermarket whether they should be charging x amount more for this we don't know what that will be we as a business will suffer that deficit so it would be nice to think that some kind of food and farming government related body would meet that deficit but it's not being forthcoming to this point that's quite tricky unfortunately you're the you're the pioneer who's gone out so everyone will learn from what happens to you but it's obviously then good to be first in market as well so you have that brand recognition and and people come to you as the benchmark of where to aim for has there been any companies that are already out there that you've drawn a lot of inspiration from or or have been especially helpful in in helping you with this I think Hodmadods is an absolute brilliant example of connecting pulses and grain farmers together that will be able to make profit on their own but together as a consortium deliver great products i'm really impressed with how what their business does to the british farmer and allows for fabulous grains here to be grown that are good for the soil and you know help with flood management programs and deliver nutritious food to us as well so i'm i'm always really impressed with those yeah i mean it's a very cool marketplace out there in new brands I've noticed that most of those new brands tend to be around much more interesting foods, such as CBD, around these new milks. I believe there's a potato milk coming very soon. Don't people call that vodka? (laughs) Yes. So there's lots more. And I've noticed that I'm probably not a very fashionable on food trend. But yeah, there's there's a lot of businesses I like to look at and like to understand how they do things and there's there's sort of a certification called the b corp can sort of jump along the rungs of the ladder to get into supermarkets but again it's it's very expensive and we have to be very sure about how we use our budget because it runs out very quickly (laughs) you've been exploring this with the national trust as well because obviously there's such a, an avenue there would be so fantastic because you know they're piling so much into their farms and, and trying to do a lot with their 
estates and farmland and parkland you know i'm very lucky to live near a beautiful national trust area and uh, you know the amount of trees they've put in recently they've brought a new farmer in actually andy cato who does wild farm is now doing the farm near where i am and you know there's so much going on and they have this resource but yes it's almost too much resource and it's difficult to know how to manage something of that size i don't know if people appreciate how large the national trust actually is and it is, it, it, you know, it's an absolute beast. And I think what it has done over COVID is managed to devolve some of the operation and bring everything in centrally so they can manage the whole beast of the National Trust in one, which, which is good for us. So it's allowed us to go in and see the central team and say, would you like a food product in retail? So outside of their own retail places, but into, you know, Waitrose or Ocado or wherever it might go and produce food for food that way of a National Trust branded wild hair product. And they have, and we actually the only food brand that they have, that they will allow license their logo and their brand. But to do that, we need the supply chain that bolsters onto their own farms. And this is the start of it, working alongside what we're producing. So as, because currently they are, they have a push to farmers to work within partial fed regen models but they need to grow that but they need for us to create a product we will need to obviously enhance that with outside of that so with the work we're doing now hopefully we'll link those two both together and create something really good in the not too distant future it's a great test bed for them actually to see if with this product that we're launching to see whether it is something they can do and obviously at the back of them launching a national trust one another great british establishment that will help move again the, the standards that we're working with and show people just how good food can be from this land and, and farmed in the correct way. That is very exciting having the National Trust on but yeah you know, as you're saying it is a juggernaut and I, I don't know but I imagine the experience I've had with them it must almost feel slightly paralyzing when you're there because it's so big it's hard to know what the correct move is there's so many eyes upon you as an organization and you've got to get whatever you do right the first yes. time you do it. And absolutely get it right, because, you know, there's, there's many, many constraints to make sure that they are doing things economically and, and within governance. And obviously it hits over so many different facets of their business, it, over their farming, over their food, over their brand licensing. So it will be a sizable project that hopefully, yeah, one day we will get there and launch a National Trust ready meal or even because I always think that the wild hair, once if we had this right, the wild hair could be almost a standard that said anything that's sort of fed into the wild hair, so be it cuts of meat or be it broths or anything else that comes from well nature farmed land, it you know it, we we could have everything coming under the under the brand. And it's it's just something to go back to that you were talking about earlier with the listing in the Carlo and around the price point, and you can't turn on the news at the moment without listening about household bills are going up and the pinch is coming and the, the price of electricity and fuel. We've already talked about where convenience food sits in the whole spectrum of food and what the price point people expect to be. I mean, is your ambition to at some point be able to get your price point down to closer to make it open to as many people? Or is that the wrong way of looking at it and a bit like paying, you should pay more for meat because an animal has died and there's been certain farming practices, but you just shouldn't eat it as often which yeah. is the great way of looking at for a, for a ready meal. I think we should never compete in the, the space of own label ready meals that are produced for 
a purpose to help people on lesser income provide you know nourishing food or, or a cooked meal for each other I don't think that's the right place for us I think the business needs to get better economies of scale therefore it obviously costs me a lot more to produce a meal than it would if we were producing more and obviously through the whole logistics and the whole mechanics of the business I think that's where we need to get to because I think we will have to hold our place you know people like Charlie Bigham they are selling on a restaurant quality meal and therefore that holds its own price point and we are selling on a sustainable I don't think we probably can reach much further than that what we as a business do I think is find that economy of scale because I think it is at the moment and and I'm certainly feeling it with how the rise in food and and our ingredients has gone up 50% alongside with employment costs then we can't put that through to the consumer because the marketplace doesn't allow it so I think we can stay at the top of where it needs to be up alongside people that also have USPs and selling in for certain other reasons. But I think it will come down to more and more people buying and the economies of the scale of the business, because we're just, we're not in good times. And I think fuel and and everything else, the cost of living is, is high. And I don't want it to be the product that only people buy that are in affluent areas that want to do this. I, I do want it to be a choice of Many people that maybe can afford the higher end of food, but not the luxury that can be afforded to just such a small population. No, I think that's a very admirable position to drive for as well. And I think there's always a trade-off and it's a very difficult area to talk about within food because the way that sustainable, regeneratively produced food is, is produced can come with a cost implication for those farmers, but then a lot gets hoovered up by the supermarkets or the retailers. And then, you know, who ends up paying that bill really at the end of the day is it the consumers or the farmers and who should be paying it? You know, it's very difficult. Yeah. I was wondering if with the conversations you've been having with DEFRA and you've been talking about the lack of funding that there is, if there's been any mention of how the subsidies that have been awarded to farms for public good could also you know, be extended to businesses which are very closely related to those farms who are buying that produce uh, and try and help the supply chain move forward as well. I think because we're so embryonic and there's very few because as far as I know there's no retail product that holds certification like yours or the PFLA therefore I don't think people have had to look or such funders have had to look outside of just their farms I am always on the back of any initiative that comes out looking to see and there's a new one in Gloucestershire actually about projects that are green and and, and could they fund but it always seems to stop at farm and we are not seen as required and obviously we are part of that supply chain and it's it's a shame it's a real shame yes technology if if you have technology so I work alongside obviously the the people that generate our carbon footprint lots and lots of funding if you are looking at technology that helps show your green sustainability credentials but nothing in the production that I've come up against and I really do look for it because funding is quite crucial really but I've not yet found anybody. I'm, I'm hoping we have been chosen by DEFRA, so I can't say yet. So in a couple of weeks, we are going forward and we will look at, at different ways that we can work together. And hopefully that will bring more insight and more projects that they're working on. And, and at least it will disseminate to us if, if there is some funding available. I mean, what a shame, really, isn't it? Because you've yes. got either end of people developing the tech that 
you know, the gritty bit that no one ever really wants to deal with. And always, to, when I've ever had these conversations with people who are not strictly at the farm end or at the retail end, it's always that murky bit in the middle. And, you know, I had a great conversation with Glenn from the Ethical Butcher about the murky bit for us. And no one wants to deal with the nasty bit where it doesn't look so nice. And that's actually where all the funding is needed because that's no one's interested, you know, interested in sorting it out. Because as you were saying about some of the brands you look at, they instantly go for the glamorous or the, or the trendy yes. or, you know, but actually it's, it's the places in the shadows which need, which need a bit more help. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, it would make, as you said, there was a bit pioneer. It, it will probably come after us. So hopefully we can survive it <laughs> yeah. and reap some rewards at the end of this journey. will be quite nice. Yeah. In terms of the whole dynamic of the, the product, you've obviously got the labelling, you've got the, you've doing the accounting of the CO2, but how much work has gone into the actual packaging as well? Uh, phenomenal. One of my sleepless nights last night. So we, you know, we have to look for where that's sourced. Uh, we, we have that accredited by um, a land management programme that looks to plant trees for everything that it, it uses for its print. We look at the thickness of the sleeve, absolutely everything. And in fact, we're reducing and reducing that the thickness to try till it becomes probably too thin, but obviously to make sure that of its level of recyclability. Holistically, all of those kind of things are looked at, but there's a lot of information that has to go on a retail sleeve. So getting it smaller is very, very difficult as well. But I, you know, I also know that I've not worked in brand and I toy with this so many times. If you look at anything now and you go into the supermarkets or you look online or you look in, in your fridges, all packaging now is very bright very brightly coloured with lots of different sort of peaches and reds and very much what it says is on the tin. So a good example of this is a make of ready meals that's come out, which is called gym food or something like this. It's marketed itself at food that you have, you know, after you've gone in the gym and that's because it's low carbs and, and, and high proteins and not too calorific, brightly coloured. And we sit very much traditional. So we are sort of beautiful Cotswolds green in colour. We have the hair in his suit. And I wonder sometimes whether we're right to keep on that track or whether we should jazz ourselves up so as the consumer sees us alongside everything else. But mm. then are we not standing out as different as somebody that's trying to work in a marketplace that isn't highly exploited and we're trying to do it in the right manner? and not fit the mould of everybody else. So it's really difficult on that packaging side of what to do. We have on the very new packaging coming out, and you'll see on our certified lasagna, made our writing brighter. So it's gone from a more musty to a brighter orange and a much bigger. And I think time will tell in Ocado, because obviously we will go through Ocado and these have to sell. So we're hoping yeah. that it's, it really is seen through the, where it's an internet shop. So hopefully it's the choice that people buy because they, they see it as well, because people buy with their eyes. So hopefully we have got something right with the packaging. Well, yeah, I mean, it looks great in my in my humble opinion, but I think, you know, all these things are cyclical. So you might spend six months developing a new sort of pop-up, sort of whammy in your face design that will sort of people would have shifted away from. So I don't know, yes. so it's a difficult one. Do you just stick to your guns or do you change? And it's been so, a very yeah. difficult, because you're exactly right. These bright colours will probably change, but we have... Lots of different groups that say no you know yours is great i loved it we were at a fine food show and the 
a buyer from the Victoria and Albert Museums in London came up and said, your brand is superb. And things like that just make you feel great. They can't obviously use it in any way, but it stood out as something. And I think, I think, I think we're happy of standing out being different rather than following the sheep. And you also mentioned that it's difficult to get all that information on the actual packaging. And you mentioned QR codes as well. But, you know, say you're at version 1.5 now of Wild Hair. Where, where do you see your product, you know, not just in terms of design like we've been talking, but in terms of sort of future looking, like, you know, where do you hope you'll be and how will people interact with your brand? Would it just be just the hair and someone just does a QR code? Or, you know, would you hope to have a completely circular model where you take the sleeves back off a cardo or, or have you not had time to think that far probably not as far into that but yeah absolutely to, to put any wheels in motion but absolutely i want the hair to be a standard of sustainability so we want to be the forefront of everything that needs to happen we can't currently because i did not i didn't even want sleeves but that's currently in labeling laws impossible but we are working on projects and you know we're not great but we're limited on our, the means of what we can to design an actual tray. So we're in aluminium foil because we thought it was better than plastic and because it comes from 100% recyclable material and it can be recycled as long as cleaned, you know, and it, it is 100% recyclable. So it's not a bad product, but we're working on schemes and this is coming out with our children's range where we use the pots and they plant seeds in them and, and, and within that way. But it's still not a perfect material. I'd like a compostable and a home compostable, but currently there aren't any out there that don't have seepage. So I would, yes, packaging is a, is a huge thing and, and we are working on it. We just need, we need the technology on our side in the way the world is, but we will definitely pioneer when something comes out right. As long as we're selling these meals and people are buying them, then we will continue to be the best we can in class and look at all the different technology that's out there and we have looked at lots of packaging it's a huge thing but ready meals is a very difficult thing one because you've got shelf life so you have to obviously seal it in a certain way and two you can't have it any spillage whatsoever the world hasn't moved on as much as it needs to but in packaging in this world but we will we'll follow it be great when it's they all work a bit more sexy and and it's always difficult that bit about getting convincing people to clean them you know, I don't think people always understand how clean things have to be to go into the recycling. Otherwise, yes. they don't actually make it the whole way through the, the system. No, and I think that's where, you know, with governments and standards need to be a lot clearer on this. But yes, maybe there's a way that if we do get bigger deals with supermarkets, we can have a place that they come in and, and they bring whatever that, you know, the trays in or something. And we can make sure ourselves that we're, we're working towards incentives with local councils where we have them completely washed and they go through or something. But I think that's the time to tell because we're, you know, we're, we know we're near the size that we need to do to get involved with those projects. Yeah. Well, I'm also just thinking if, if there's someone listening to this who's a budding entrepreneur and looking to move into this space, what are three sort of big learnings? I don't know, let's call them mistakes or failures because you always learn from them. They push you on to develop further, you know, or three bits of advice you'd give to someone who's looking to move into this. Don't worry about your world ever evolving. You know, I've been on a journey where this business has, has evolved or changed in so many different angles and, and virtually every day. So don't worry about how many changes you might get to to get to where you are. I mean, I looked at my business card when I started this business four or five years ago with the stamps of sort of the pasture for life. And 
and we didn't manage to get there but four years later we are there so know that as long as you keep your clear head of what where you want the brand to be it can be a journey to get there as well you don't have to have it perfect or what you perceive as perfect in the first instance you don't have to have you know i'd love one day to be involved in a real food podcast as well which is about brands that have managed to be successful because obviously we're not there yet and talk to people and you're and budding entrepreneurs that you don't have to know your marketplace nobody is more passionate about what you do than yourselves and you can make with the likes of linkedin and many other tools you can learn your trade and how to to get there by finding the people and, and going to meetings i mean i went to a meeting at waitrose when we were so small didn't even probably have it produced at that point what an eye opener and you need those kind of meetings obviously it wasn't going to go anywhere but you need those kind of meetings to understand where you need to go to i was on the dragon's den only last season the season just before the steve bartlett came on and we didn't have anything only a few years ago this business that you know it had a few outlets but they all went under because they were food service when covid hit so i wasn't successful so it's that determination so i'd say secondly make sure you've got you so you don't need to know your business things could change and God, you've got to have determination because, yeah, sleepless nights are a thing. The worries are, are huge, especially when you're toying with so many different aspects of the unknown. But if you've got something that you speak to people and every time, like so four years ago and even on the Dragon's Den just last summer when I was in front of them, I said, oh, you're ahead of your time. I think we're not ahead of our time. This isn't, you know, you must have the same thing. This is not, this is where we have to be if we're going to secure this world in any of the same position it is for our children's children but it shows the journey you're going to have to come if you if you're taking on a an idea that or a concept that people aren't familiar with i mean what a fantastic journey you know dragons have missed out such a thing to say you know you're ahead of your time or you're behind your time it's time to get involved but i can't thank you enough for coming on today i think people are going to find that extremely useful and insightful hopefully inspire some people to to make the change and, and go forward and i wish you all the best and i can't wait to work um, hopefully more with more of your farms and yes. get some more certified products coming into the market and when can people start to buy these meals and- uh, so literally, as we speak to all the emails coming through, we have now got the logins to for the Ocado system, which is where we'll start placing the information, which is the very last step for them to see our product online. So it, we are anything from the end of this month to the beginning of March will 100% be live at Ocado. And if people can look there and buy the products there, where the, our real journey starts. Fantastic. Well, Dominique, thank you very much. And hope to speak to you soon. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Regen Agri podcast. To learn more on what we've talked about in this episode, please find the links in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about how the Regen Agri initiative can help you on your regenerative journey through advisory services, monitoring of on-farm data, regenerative certification, or carbon verifications, please visit regenagri.org. There, you can also check out our case studies and articles and gain access to our digital hub for free insight and advice. Alternatively, follow us on Twitter at regenagri underscore CU or search for regenagri on LinkedIn. Join us again next month. And in the meantime, you can subscribe, rate and review us from the Apple platform or find us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.